Let me ask you a question. What do people say about you? Who are you? I think, you know, when I think about my own self, I think that there's some differing opinions about what people think of me. I tend to be a, a bit irreverent. I, I, I'm certainly sarcastic. Um, got some nods over there. <laughs> In fact, if something comes into my head and I think it's funny, I do have a filter, but I generally, I, you know, it's like, well, how funny is it? You know, like, and, and I'll just send it. I, and sometimes I can be pretty blunt. A couple weeks ago, uh, after youth group, there was a, uh, uh, a guy came walking around this corner and, and we were all standing outside and um, just chatting and, and waiting for parents to pick students up and I remember he, he came walking around, and I, and I looked over, and I thought, oh, it's an adult-sized Pikachu. <laughs> like, I was getting ready, because I never leave home without my Pokeball. You know, you got you to gotta catch them all. So I was, getting ready to, I was getting ready to chuck this thing at this guy. And then I realized, no, it's not an adult-sized Pikachu. It's the Transformer known as Bumblebee. <laughs> so he comes walking around the corner, and I know... I can tell this is going to be an interaction, right? I, I, he's coming along, and uh, he comes around, and he asks, he asks a question. At, at first, I didn't, under, I didn't register. I don't know if he was speaking transformer language, just some gibberish. Um, and I, so I had to ask him, well, what did you say? Uh, he was looking for a place called K-Connections, which I have no idea, but I was willing to help the guy out. But I remember he, he comes up, and he says, uh, I'm looking for K connections. And in my mind, without skipping a beat, I asked him, well, are they under attack? <laughs> that's, the, that's the type of, of humor I have. But I honestly was trying to help the guy out. I was, I was on my phone. I was trying to figure out K connections. Meanwhile, the Decepticons, many of your children, in fact, uh, even some of our leaders were like, oh, yeah, it's, it's a couple miles down that way, you know? Nearest I could tell, I couldn't really pinpoint it for him, but the nearest I could tell was it's uh, down by neighborhood health or, or part of neighborhood health. Um, but, it, and thinking to myself, if he transforms into that SS Camaro, he can be there in a few minutes. But something didn't sit right with me because... He was going to K-Connections for his BMX bike, so if he could transform into a Camaro, it, it just didn't register. But I can't blame the, the students and, and everyone for trying to kind of usher him on. I mean, uh, when he came up, he was, he was spinning something in his hand, and uh, it was either a, a lighter or, or a vape pen, which, as you know, automatically means danger, right? This guy... You don't know. And the way he was talking, kind of incoherent, could he have been on something? Probably. Did he have mental health issues? I don't know, possibly. Did he identify as the transformer known as Bumblebee? Almost certainly. But we tend to assume things about people. Maybe it's stereotypes. 
People assume things about me. I remember I was uh, a candidate for a, a part-time youth ministry position in uh, Linden, Washington, and this is going to date myself, but it was roughly about 13 years ago. And I say that because most of uh, the teenagers in the youth group still think that I'm 19. But I was a candidate for this, this job. And if you know anything about Linden, it's up near Bellingham. There's a lot of old uh, Dutch dairy farmers up there, a lot of uh, reformed theology uh, up there. And uh, I remember I met the pastor and uh, he was talking to me and he's like, well, you don't have weird hair or, or weird facial hair, though I have gone through that phase. And you don't play the guitar. Are you sure that you're, you should be uh, applying for a youth ministry position? And, uh, and it was an interesting weekend. I remember after uh, church service that Sunday, I was shaking babies and kissing hands. And uh, <laughs> there was uh, this older woman. I don't know the politically correct term. Elderly lady. I don't know. Octogenarian. Um, and, and I'm shaking her hand and she's asking me a little bit, uh, so where did you go to school? I was, well, I went to, to Corbin College in, in Salem, Oregon. And she said, oh, well, I've never heard of it. And then I said something that you probably shouldn't say in a, in a more reformed theological church. Well, I said, well, it used to be uh, Western Baptist. And as I'm shaking her hand, it's like when you watch those like uh, ghost hunter movies or shows on TV where they're, they're out there trying to find ghosts and they, they can say that there's a ghost in the room because the temperature drops like 30 degrees and you can see your breath, like you know that there's a presence in there. Well, that happened in this church. I, I, it, the temperature dropped and I could see this lady's breath and, and she's slowly squeezing my hand harder and harder. And after I said I, I went to Western Baptist, she goes, looks me in the eyes, says, well, I know where you stand. And I'm like, ma'am, you're hurting me, you know? Now, I got to be honest, um, sometimes the veracity of my stories have been called into question because I tend to embellish things a little bit, but I'm a storyteller, you know, like that's, that's what I got to do. So I have to be honest, the temperature really didn't drop 30 degrees and I couldn't see her breath. So to be honest, I don't know if she was actually breathing. Um, <laughs> but we assume things about people. And we've been studying in the book of Acts. Uh, this is Luke's writing. Uh, basically, it's a continuation of his gospel. And to kind of look at, at where we've been and, and where we're going, this, this chapter 9 is a bit of a transition. It's a, a transition um, from a, a, a church that's basically been centered upon uh, converting Jews to Christianity, and now we're starting to transition into a phase where the church will reach out to the Gentiles. And, and we're nearing the end of kind of Peter's role in the book of Acts. It, it, 
he's in the, in the book for about the first 12, 13 chapters. And then from there on, it's Paul's ministry to the uh, Gentiles. And we began this transition a couple weeks ago when uh, the Ethiopian eunuch uh, was studying the scriptures and then obviously Saul's conversion. So the transition's continuing here in Acts chapter 9. And we see this transition happening in basically the lives of three people. Three people, two miracles, but really, in, in my opinion, as we read this story, there's three miracles. But the lives of these three people, Luke, being a historian, went to people, right? He went and asked them, well, who are these people? So the first person we read about is Aeneas. And Luke tells us kind of very little about Aeneas. Just that, in verse 33 that there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. We're told his name and the condition of his health. The rest were left to assume. The second person that we hear about in this story is Tabitha, or Dorcas, in verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. Now the name Tabitha or Dorcas means gazelle. And and generally in scripture, names mean something, right? And judging by her character that we're told about, we're told that she's a disciple, which is In fact, one of the few times in Scripture where a woman is actually called a disciple, maybe even the only time where a woman is called a disciple, we can assume that uh, she was full of grace, kind of like a gazelle. She was full of grace, acts of charity, always helping out uh, the, the downtrodden in the church. In fact, she helped the widows. And so that has led many to presume that maybe she herself was a widow. And then the last person that we're told about in this book or this chapter is Simon. And we're told he's a tanner. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. And we'll get to him at the end because I think it's really very telling of where the church is going. But the miracles... Verse 32. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. Peter has branched out from Jerusalem. He's gone about 25 miles northwest to a a town, Lydda. Now, the thing about Lydda and Joppa, which we'll hear about in a little bit, is that it's closer to the coast. Uh, There was still, obviously it's Israel, so there was still a large Jewish presence there, but being that it was close to the coast, uh, there was also a a large Gentile population there, being a port city. And so uh, he's traveled to Lydda, and he's greeted the saints, he's, he's greeted the church there, 
And he comes upon a man, Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. Again, we're left to assume things about Aeneas. The fact that he was paralyzed, think about that, trapped generally in a, in a prison of your own body. And I think about the way conditions were in that time period where you had to work to eat. Everything that Aeneas did had to be provided for him by someone else. And I think about our own lives when, when we are in need of things, when we are struggling, how hard is it for us to share our faith? Many people assume that, that Aeneas was a Christian, but, but thinking about the fact that, that his entire day revolved around hoping that people would provide for him, how open was he to share his faith? And so we're, we, we read this miracle. And these miracles mirror miracles that Jesus himself did. In Luke chapter 5, verse 22 through 25, we read this story about, about Jesus healing a paralytic. And remember, they, they, they brought him this paralytic, and he says to the man, he says, your sins are forgiven. And it outraged the people. It outraged the Pharisees, the Sadducees, because he was blaspheming. Only God can forgive sins. Who is this man that he thinks that he can do that? And he says to them, he says, is it easier for a man to, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, rise up and walk? And that's what he did. He, he told the man, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Likewise, when Peter sees Ananias, or sorry, not Ananias, Aeneas, he says very much the same thing to him. He says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, rise and make your bed. There's some things that we can see, some parallels between the two stories that are important. The first, obviously, is that this miracle in Acts mirrors the miracle of Jesus healing the paralytic. And it's important to realize that Peter was with Jesus when he performed this miracle. He saw Jesus perform this miracle. So when he's presented with this opportunity, he imitates Jesus. In Luke, Jesus healed the paralytic by his own power. Peter makes it a point in Acts to tell Aeneas that Jesus Christ heals you. It's by the power of Christ that Aeneas is healed. And not only that, but he's healed completely. He says, rise, pick up your bed, walk, go home. When he got up, he didn't have a limp. He didn't have a stagger. 
He was healed completely. And the thing we see here is that it pointed to Jesus. This miracle pointed to Jesus. It authenticated the gospel message that had begun to spread from Jerusalem to the rest of the world. And it authenticated that message. See, a miracle on its own is pointless. But Jesus allowed these apostles, empowered these apostles to perform these miracles to authenticate, to validate the message that they were sharing, the gospel message, the fact that Jesus Christ, who is God, came to earth, lived a sinless life, died for sins, rose again on the third day, and was witnessed and seen by others. That was the message that was being proclaimed, and that was the message that was being forgiven. And just as in Luke chapter 5, when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, rise up and walk, the miracle pointed to the fact that the man's sins were forgiven. Likewise, when Peter says, Jesus Christ heals you, rise up, the miracle points to the fact that our sins are forgiven. And in Luke chapter 5, verse 25, we're told that that, that paralytic that Jesus healed walked away and he glorified Jesus. And we're told in Acts 9.35 that this was the response. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. It was a validation that what they had been told was true. And so Peter restores Aeneas because it is the power of Christ that changes lives. It's the power of of Christ that changes lives. So Peter heals Aeneas, and he sticks around in Lydda for a couple of days. Meanwhile, in Joppa, we're told in Joppa, this next uh, miracle happens. The interesting interesting thing about Joppa is that it's about 10 to 12 miles closer to the Mediterranean, about uh, 10 to 12 miles northwest of Lydda. So, uh, but it's also the place, if you remember, in the story of Jonah, where uh, Jonah's called to go preach the, the, the importance of repentance to the people of Nineveh, and he decides, no, I'm not going to go to Nineveh, I'm going to go to Joppa, I'm going to get on a boat, and I'm going to get out of here. Because he didn't want to go to this Gentile nation, because he knew that they would repent and turn to God. And that's where we're at in this story, in Joppa. But this time, the good news is going to the Gentiles. The good news is spreading. And this miracle mirrors another miracle of Jesus. It mirrors when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter in Luke chapter 8, verses 51 and 54 in particular. So we're told in verse 36, Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, 
which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in the upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So like I said, it's about 10 to 12 miles from Lydda. So it's about a three-hour walk from Joppa to Lydda. So these disciples, they head out and, and they go to Peter. They get him, say, hey, please come with us. About a six-hour round trip. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. So here's the scene. Now, I have to to note that in those days, if someone died, we're told that they they washed uh, Tabitha. In those days, if someone died, they, they got him in the ground as soon as possible. You know, they, they washed them, they spiced them up a little bit, and they got them in the tomb. Kind of like, like when the roast is ready, you spice it up and you throw it in the oven. Like, you don't want it to spoil. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They didn't want uh, her to spoil. So they, but it was a testament of their faith that they took her to the upper room. Rather than burying her, it was a testament of their faith that, that said that, that God, that Peter, by the power of Christ, can help us. And so Peter arrives and he, he walks into this room. And think about the scene. There's, there's people there. Look at my tunic. She made this for me last week. She helped me out. She gave me money. She, she helped me. It was a hysterical scene. What are we going to do? And Peter didn't give them a theology lesson like, Oh, to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ or, you know, she's with Jesus. And it's kind of an interesting thing. Like, she dies because she goes to heaven. Like, what? She shows up there with her knitting needles and what would Jesus is like, well, don't unpack. You know, we're going to send you back, you know, sort of thing. Like, it's kind of a, it's kind of, if you think about it, it's kind of a bummer for, uh, for her because, like, she's going to, She's going to come back. She's, she's, Peter's going to raise her, as we hear from the story. And then she's going to end up dying again. She's going to have to die again. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe it's like riding a bicycle. You know, once you do it once, it's not so bad the second time. I don't know. I'm hoping to only do it once, personally. And I hope it's a good story. <laughs> but Peter shows up. And like I said, this miracle mirrors the miracle of Jesus raising Jairus' daughter. And in Luke chapter 8, verse 51, we're told that, uh, that Jesus shows up to this, to this place and he sends everyone out, just like Peter does here. He sends all of the hysterical people out. I need it quiet in here. This is for me and, and her. And just a few people. And we're told that Jairus and his wife were there, and the three. 
Peter, James, and John. So Peter was there. And in verse 54 of Luke chapter 8, Jesus says, Child, arise. Which in the Aramaic is Talitha Kume. Here in Acts chapter 9, Peter says, Tabitha Kume. The difference is one word, arise. What a blessing for this church to have someone like Tabitha who cared for people, who loved Jesus, who told his story, who told the gospel. We've all had people like that in our churches, right? Jake has talked about Dan and Joy Fitzgerald here at this very church. I think about, in my own life, a man named Gary Brownell. These are the type of people that that have a profound impact on us, and their loss is felt even more profoundly. I think about uh, Gary. He would... He was the guy that I would come back from school in the summers and I would uh, intern at the church that I grew up in for a very average youth pastor, very average. Um, Just kidding, he's actually in the room, but uh, he knows who he is. Um, And he would put me to work and uh, provide me with a little bit of extra money Uh, He was always fairly generous, but there was one time, and I I think that he he didn't pay so much for the work. He paid for you to listen to his stories and to to listen to his life lessons, right? That's what he really paid me for. And I remember one day, he got me and my brothers and our pastor's son, he got us to come out and and do some work for him. (laughs) And he paid us something like, 15 bucks a piece. And I think we were there for about eight hours. We made, we made two bucks an hour. It was fantastic. And the next day, we actually went back. And people from the church were like, why did you go back the next day? I don't know. He probably had an important lesson to teach us. And I remember our, our pastor's son, he showed up with a Starbucks coffee. And he's like, I paid you 15 bucks yesterday and you went out and got a $5 drink at Starbucks? Like, you know, these were the type of lessons. And I look back on them fondly and it was worth the 15 bucks. But that's the type of person that Tabitha was, looking out for people in her church. And so getting back to this miracle, we see that Peter was there And he prays. He kneels down and he prays. And then he says, Tabitha, arise. See, it was by Jesus' power that Tabitha rose. By his prayer to Jesus that he would raise her. And again, 
we see that she stands up and he takes her out to the people. She was healed completely. She didn't have a lingering cough. And I think the thing about Tabitha is she was a disciple before she passed away. She, she helped people before she passed away. She was charitable. And I think as soon as he raised her, she went back to doing that same thing, to helping people, to loving people, to sharing the truth of the gospel. And again, this story points to Jesus. It authenticated the gospel. In verse 42, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. People were coming to Jesus as a result of this miracle. Peter raises Tabitha because it is the power of Christ that changes lives. That is the God we serve. And this gospel message is spreading now like wildfire. As we read these words, lives are being changed. People are coming to know Jesus, to believe in his gospel. Everyone we read about in this story has had their life altered and changed by Jesus. That third miracle found in verse 43, if you've been looking for it. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. And you can say, well, that doesn't seem like a miracle. But the thing about being a tanner meant that Simon, as a Jew, was ceremonially, ceremonially unclean, perpetually. He was always considered unclean. And Peter, being a proud Jew, would never have stayed with a tanner because he himself would have been unclean. These tanners, they had to handle dead animals. And it was such a despised profession that if you were married to a tanner, it was actually considered grounds for divorce. Like, think about this, when the, when the Pharisees came to, to Jesus and asked, what are the grounds for divorce? You know, maybe his response should have been, well, does your man touch dead things? You know, like, <laughs> but it was grounds for divorce. That's how despised this profession was. And here Peter is, residing with him, staying with him in Joppa. He never would have done that. See, it's the power of Christ that had changed Peter's life. It's the power of Christ that changed Simon's life. 
No longer was Simon a tanner. Simon was a brother. These miracles point to the greatest miracle. The fact that Jesus Christ changes lives. He forgives sins. He died and rose for us. That's the miracle that these miracles point to. That's the greatest miracle. You know, when we study scripture, we, we, we study, well, what does, what did this passage mean in the context of, of where these people were when it was written? And then we try to bridge that gap into what it means 2,000 years later. These miracles pointed people to Christ. And that's what they still do today. So I started this message by asking, what do people say about us? I think we get caught up in what other people think about us, right? I mean, I, I, you know, these kids are up here, they don't, they don't care about what people think about them, right? At some, but at some point, something switches. Like, you go from being this kid that's willing to pick his nose in front of everyone at church to, to being this person that worries about what people think about us. But really, what do our lives say about us? And the thing is, when our lives point to Jesus... It matters very little about what people think about us. But as we read this story, I think we tend to identify with some of these characters, maybe one of them over the other. Maybe, maybe it's Aeneas, maybe it's Tabitha, maybe it's Simon. Who is it that you identify with? Are you Aeneas? Perhaps a, a Christian, and yet you don't act on your faith. You're, you're going through a lot right now. You, you don't, and, and so you are more preoccupied with your own struggles than sharing Jesus with others, with the needs of others. But this story is here tell us that it's the power of Christ that changes lives. Get up and walk in it. Maybe you're Tabitha, a disciple. You love God. You love telling people about God. But maybe, maybe you think you've lost your youth, usefulness. Tabitha died and got sent back for more. It's never too late to be used by God. She served God before she died. She was brought back and she continued to serve God.
because the power of Christ had changed her life. Rise up and live in it. Are you Simon? Think about Simon, a loner, right? He lived a very solitary lifestyle before he met Jesus. Before he had community. Maybe you're Simon. You don't have a lot of community. Maybe you feel unworthy based on your past mistakes. You feel unclean. These miracles point to the fact that Jesus has forgiven our sins. It's the power of Christ that will change your life. He can make you clean. What a great miracle we have. The fact that we can say our sins are forgiven. If you don't or have never believed that, that's what these words are trying to to tell us, to tell you that, that your sins can and have been forgiven when you put your faith in Jesus. In just a few moments, we're going to sing a song. I've witnessed it. I love singing this song when when we're up here. Some of the lyrics say, your promises never fail. I've got stories I'll live to tell. You love and I've witnessed it. You heal and I've witnessed it. You save and I've witnessed it. We all have a story to tell our life is a story. What will ours witness to? Who will our story point to? I look around this room, I see people whose lives have been changed by by the gospel. People who are proud to tell of what they've witnessed, proud to tell of what God has saved them from. It's an honor that that God has given us to share our stories. Who will your story point to? Will it point to Jesus? Jesus.